friends, let me introduce myself. Cupertino's the name. John Paul Cupertino. I'm a podcaster, and I have a story to tell. Yeah, I know, who hasn't got a story? Well, nobody's got a story like this one. Nobody. Welcome to Rad Chat. This week we're going to talk about five great gremlins things. But first I'd like to thank all the listeners that have listened to the first episode, and obviously if you're listening to this, thank you very much. I am thrilled to be doing this. This has been a ton of fun. And the feedback I have gotten from everybody has been awesome. It's made this worthwhile, and while I'm having a ton of fun making it, I'm having just as much fun reading the comments and the input you folks have. So please keep it coming. It keeps me doing something I like doing, which is probably a good thing. As always, I can be found on Twitter most easily at at JPVries, V-R-I-E-S-S, or the official Rad Chat Podcast Twitter account, which is at RadChatPod. I'll be posting updates to both accounts, so feel free to follow the one you like the most. Now that that is all out of the way, I would like to share this week's featured creator. Each week I like to put over a creator that has been a positive influence in the community and makes things that are pretty darn rad. This week it is Chicken Dynasty. Chicken Dynasty is the creator of some very unusual, if that is the best word to use for it, abstract and absurdist videos with Alf and Garfield and much, much more. But lately I have found his animated dramedy series, Safety First, to really capture me. It's been an interesting ride, all 21 episodes that are currently available. Each one's about three to five minutes, sometimes a little bit longer. And it's something I thought at first was more like a Tim and Eric show vibe, kind of ironic and hum- humorous, but now I look at it more of something I want to see what happens to the characters. It focuses on the trials and tribulations of Anise Alvarez, who is a safety detective in Midland City. I don't want to give too much of the plot away, but Anise is a very by-the-books workaholic type, and she has to figure out how to manage her relationships with her friends and her family, as well as the very unusual safety issues that come up in the city. The episodes are really easy to binge, and you will get sucked in pretty quickly with how unusual everything ends up being. You can find the whole series free on YouTube at Chicken Dynasty, or you can check out ChickenDynasty.com, or follow them on Twitter at Chicken Dynasty. Now let's talk gremlins. These are five great gremlins things. Things that I've found just awesome about gremlins. To be honest, I could probably do a 30 or 40 of these, and I'll probably do more episodes. For now... These are just five things that came to my head while I was recording this podcast. First, I want to talk about the Gremlins novelization. This novelization was written by George Jipe, who had also done novelizations for things like Back to the Future and The Explorers, and it is a doozy. It goes into parts of the Gremlins background that nothing else I've ever found has. seems to be mostly a creation of his rather than something from the script, but he really expounds upon the biology and the thoughts of the Gremlins and the Mogwai. This was clearly written later in the process because the early drafts of the script had no good Mogwai, and even the second and third drafts still had very, very gruesome and horrible things happening in them, such as multiple violent deaths, including the death of Billy's mother that was never actually filmed. So it is still close enough to the shooting script that it's recognizable, but there are quite a few parts in the book that don't exist in the film. One of my favorites is the origin of Mogwai, they're explained to be a genetic creation from a person called, I guess an alien, named Magturman. And this creature was designed to bring peace to the entire universe, basically by being a cute gift, I suppose, and something that would bring people together. Unfortunately, it was forced out before it was done being tested, and there were flaws, such as the aversion to bright light, the 
unstable mogwai hiding inside, which we call a gremlin, and the multiplication with water. It also touches upon the idea that Gizmo is actually what's called a minority mogwai, where one in 10,000 mogwai that were designed retain the sweet and gentle demeanor that Gizmo has. It explains that these events that we see in the film Gremlins were escalated all over the place in other planets and other galaxies, and Mark was punished because of this. The book also goes into a lot more detail between Gizmo and the other Mogwai that are, I suppose, his spawn. Stripe and the other Mogwai are trying to figure out the secrets to what can kill them, what can make them multiply, and what is the secret to unlock greater power they just happen to instinctually know is there. In fact, they hate Gizmo because he is the minority Mogwai. I'm sure there's some allegory there that was never present in the script, but it certainly is here. If you get a chance, read the book. There are so many little nuggets that can be taken out and... Many people that our fans consider canon, and many years ago, my friend Lynn Stevenson and I, back then known as Kaiju Girl, had worked on an entire scientific-style paper on the reproduction and biology of gremlins and mogwai, and we used the information in the book to kind of use as a base of our scientific theories and ideas. It was just a lot of fun, and it brings back a lot of great memories whenever I think about this book and how it shaped my love of external media being part of the universe, kind of shaping a bigger world than the film actually gave us. One other reason I love the book so much, and specifically my copy of the book, is because it was a gift from my cousins. I used to go visit them in Fond du Lac every so often, and I'd see this book on their shelf, and I kept reading it every time I was there. I kept, you know, hoping that maybe, maybe someday I'd have it. I asked for it. They wouldn't give it to me, and finally, they did eventually. Not very exciting, but to me it was a very big deal because they knew how important that film was to me even at a very young age. And I still have that copy somewhere. It's actually in one of my boxes. It's been well-loved, to say the least. I think it's in two pieces, but it's still very special. I strongly suggest you checking this book out. There is nothing out there like it. It is such a unique piece of fiction that I would love to see a movie based on this version of Gremlins. If you don't have any cousins you can borrow or steal it from, it's always available on eBay, and usually you can get them pretty cheap if they're not in the greatest of condition. And 30-some years later, they're mostly not. For my second great Gremlins thing is simply Gremlins 2 The New Batch. Gremlins 2 is a parody of the first movie, which everybody knows, and it is one of the most divisive films in the genre. Many people swear by Gremlins because it's more of the horror, dark humor take, and Gremlins 2 is a very, very 90s, late 80s feeling, hyper-neon version of itself. As many people know, Gremlins in 1984 was a huge hit. It was right up there with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Beverly Hills Cop, and Ghostbusters. These films made 1984 a huge year, and also the formation of the PG-13 rating. Because of this, they, Warner Brothers wanted a sequel. They wanted a sequel to a film that wasn't designed to have a sequel. Sounds like Back to the Future. But Joe Dante didn't want to do it, didn't want to do it. Finally, he agreed to do it when they said, we'll give you what you want, we'll give you a big budget, you can do anything at all. Now, this is unheard of in Hollywood. Poke fun at the idea itself of sequels. So it becomes this meta-commentary on sequels by being a sequel of a very popular blockbuster film. So Joe Dante turned it into a Looney Tunes version of itself. This movie shouldn't have been made, by all accounts. But it was, and it helped shape my love for meta-commentary and parody. Even at a young age of eight years old, I absolutely adored the fact that the movie wasn't afraid to say, hey, look how silly these rules are. Look how silly this entire concept is. 
of a cute little furball that turns into a bunch of green scaly monsters. It doesn't make a lot of sense, and that's what makes it great. It brings back everybody from the original films, including Dick Miller and Jackie Joseph as Mr. and Mrs. Futterman, and the film uses a host of character actors to fill out the rest of the cast, as well as having amazing cameos. We get Paul Bartel, who you'll, genre fans will know from Chopping Mall and Eating Raul, playing the movie theater manager that says, of course, I'll take care of this, and goes off to fetch the immortal Hulk Hogan, so he can stop the terror of the gremlins with Hulkamania, brother, brother. But did you also know that the movie theater mom was played by Belinda Belasky? I believe I'm pronouncing that right. She also was Mrs. Joe Harris in the original Gremlins in that brief encounter with Mrs. Deagle where she tells the kids, well, you know what to ask Santa for now, don't you? Probably one of the most depressing scenes in the entire series. But did you also know that the projectionist was played by Kenneth Toby, who you also know from the original Gremlins playing the mobile gas station attendant that gets the smokeless ashtray? But he's also known for hundreds of other films, tons of cameos, especially in Joe Dante films. But he's usually most recognized from his cameos in Airplane, where he played the red-headed air traffic controller Neubauer. Pretty much everybody that worked in a previous Joe Dante film was in this film in some capacity. Either way, this film really plays into my sensibilities of humor and parody and poking fun at what you love. I love this film, and I love the original Gremlins film. I don't feel they take away from each other, and I think that Gremlins 2, if made today, would be much more well-received, simply for the fact that we are so used to parody and things like Mystery Science Theater taking what we love and what we can barely tolerate at times with films and making them more fun for everybody. I think that Gremlins 2 is one of the most fun films you can watch simply because you can watch it so many times and get something new out of it every time. There's a character you recognize from another film or a prop, or you'll catch a line that's a quote from another film. Gremlins 2 is plain fun, and it reminds me why movies shouldn't take themselves too seriously all the time. Because as film fans, we often forget that movies are just that, entertainment. They're just movies. Just have a good time. Next, I'd like to talk about things that scared the heck out of me as a kid. Gremlins scared many, many, many children. It was something I've discovered throughout the years that instilled fear in pretty much all kids that were under a certain age that watched it. I could have been more than four years old when I originally saw the box on the shelf, and I wanted to see it so badly. So my dad rented it eventually, and he would, of course, dub these VHSs, and what he would do is he'd play them on one and then record it on the other, which is what was called time shifting at the time. This was a very common practice for those that had two VCRs. You had to, at the time, play one tape and record the other in real time. This was before there was high-speed dubbing or things along those lines. And I was curious. He did it with the TV off, so I didn't watch it while it happened. And I turned the TV on. Well, it happened to be the moment when a gremlin is watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And it has a very, very extreme close-up of the gremlin. This made me scream. I went and hid. I don't know what it was exactly. Probably the demonic monster staring at me with grinning red eyes. And it took me a while to actually watch the movie. I actually did watch it. And it was immediately a favorite of mine. Obviously, Gizmo was everywhere in the 80s. Even well into 1986, 1987, when I was old enough to see the film, it was still a big presence. There were toys, games, and of course stuffies everywhere. But sometime in the time between getting this tape and actually seeing it, I had been browsing some stations at my half-sister's house, and we were happened upon, during a dark and stormy night, Gremlins. 
it was something I wanted to see because I was super excited about it. So she turned it on, and it was the moment when the gremlins were on the roof of Mr. Futterman's house playing with the antenna. And I don't know why, but that combined with the storm that was happening outside absolutely broke me. I was just beyond terrified. Now, this is now the second time I tried watching Gremlins, and it scared me to death. Eventually, I watched it and became obsessed. And I've discovered this is actually a pretty normal thing. A lot of people find something that scares them as a kid, and they just dive right into it. I think a lot of that is fun being scared, and it's a safe way of being scared. I didn't think it was at the time, but... I was mostly fine until I saw the commercial for Gremlins 2 and the brain gremlin would actually talk to the viewer. And for some reason that hit me too and I went screaming into my grandmother's kitchen. I did see the movie in 1990 and it had a few scenes that were pretty terrifying, especially the spider gremlin. But for me, it was actually the ancillary products such as the trading cards that scared me. There's a shot in one of the trading cards called He's Coming For You that, again, whenever something talks to you, it kind of creeps me out for some reason because it, I think it's actually talking to me, not just the general whoever happens to be watching. This is a picture of a gremlin in some kind of air vent, it looks like. This was not in the film, and it mentions on the back of the card that a gremlin had infiltrated the air vents and was now looking for its new victim. I would have loved to seen this. I have never seen any footage of this. So if somebody out there is a big Gremlins fan and has seen this, I'd love to see it. Um, the other thing that really terrified me as a kid was, strangely, the end of Gremlins. Again, it plays to the whole, hey, this is more than just a movie. This is talking to you. It's where Rand says, well, that's the story. So next time your air conditioner goes on the fritz or your washing machine blows up or your video recorder conks out, before you call the repairman, turn all the lights, check all the closets and cupboards. Look under all the beds, because you never can tell. There just might be a gremlin in your house. And Hoyt Axton's delivery of that line was kind of taunting in a way, but also very honest, earnest, I guess you would say. It felt real, like a real warning from a father figure. The fact that it went right into the gremlin's rag immediately afterwards was jarring. So it always sat with me. I'd have to turn the movie off before I got to that part because it would make somehow the gremlins actually under my bed or in the cupboards. Today I'm better, so now I just watch movies when I go to bed to make sure that there's something playing so the gremlins don't sneak up on me. I, I'm better now. Really. Yep. Next up I have a bit of a cheat. This actually doesn't exist. I've written about it on my website, Gremlins Online, a few times, and I've tried to get more and more information, but there seems to be a curse when it comes to Gremlins video games. I mainly refer to the Gremlins arcade game, which was supposed to be put out by Atari in around 1984-1985, and the game was supposed to have you alternating between being Lynn Peltzer defending the kitchen from a Gremlins onslaught, Billy in the streets using his flashlight to stop the Gremlins, and Gizmo driving through the department store to stop Stripe. You'd play through these three levels, it'd loop back to the first one just a little bit harder. Eventually, the game would pretty much just end as far as we know. There's prototype footage available, and the header, which was designed but never actually produced, there's been no word of a ROM actually escaping of this, and if there is, I would absolutely love to try it. The fascinating thing about this game is it uses some interesting parts of the Gremlins soundtrack. It uses the typical Gremlins rag, you know, dun, 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 that everybody knows by Jerry Goldsmith, but it also uses Late for Work 
And that was heard mostly during the beginning of the film when Billy was running to work. Not exactly what I would use for a gizmo driving a Barbie car around type level, but that's what they used. And they actually had to code it in, so they intentionally chose that. I find that really interesting because it's not seen in a lot of, or I should say heard, in a lot of promotional materials or ancillary products. The game was programmed by the same creator of Crystal Castles, and it probably didn't come up due to the arcade crash of that era, and it's something that is kind of a white whale for many Gremlins fans. There's also an unreleased Gremlins adventure game that was supposed to come out for the PlayStation 2 and GameCube. Unfortunately, it never happened. However, I have had the pleasure of listening to the score, as well as watching some of the introduction videos that were made for it from the composer. I'll post a link in the description here so everybody can see those if you'd like. But nothing else has really been shown beyond some screenshots and I believe a little bit of gameplay footage. You were supposed to play as Gizmo, who was told by many Mogwai, I guess there's tribes of them now, to stop Stripe because he's returned somehow and the prophecy foretells that he has to use weird contraptions to stop Stripe and the evil gremlins from destroying Kingston Falls again. The game obviously never came out, but it must have been pretty far in development that these videos exist and had gotten onto the public even in the early internet era. There actually were a number of Gremlins games actually produced in this era, such as Gremlins Stripe vs. Gizmo and Gremlins Unleashed for the Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advanced. There was also a Gizmo Virtual Pet type game that came out for the original Nintendo DS. It didn't do very well and it was pretty much a budget title, but it's out there and you can make your own Mogwai pet and play with it and can get bored after a little bit, but I'm glad it's there because it's still a fun thing. The canceled games though, someday maybe we'll find them, somebody will find a cartridge or a disc and get to try them out. Or maybe somebody will find the original Gremlins ROM board from the Prototype Arcade game. Who knows? Just wanted to share that with you. My final great Gremlins thing is cartoons. Everyone that knows me knows I love cartoons. Well, back in 1990, there was supposed to be a Gremlins TV show called Gizmo and the Gremlins. Nothing was ever done with it, and it's only been in a couple magazines. I guess it never got past the pilot stage, which has never been released. It's believed there's been a few cells found, but nothing concrete. A lot of the art from the coloring books and paint-by-number books from the 1990 Gremlins 2 film seem to have that style that may have been used in a Gremlins cartoon. It most likely didn't happen due to the lukewarm reception of Gremlins 2, as well as Gremlins not really being a kid's property. It was very violent and very goopy even for Gremlins 2. However, if we jump to 2020, or more likely at the point of this recording, 2021, there's going to be a new Gremlins cartoon. It is called Secrets of the Mogwai, and it takes place in 1920s Shanghai. This is going to have a mostly Chinese cast, and I think that is just an awesome change of pace from having your typical middle American family encountering Mogwai. This is going to tell the story of Sam Wing, a young boy known as Mr. Wing in the films, that discovers the Mogwai and hunts down, I suppose, spirits and other mythical beings from Chinese literature, history, and uh, lore. This is a new take on the Gremlins universe, which is being spearheaded by Zi Chun, who has extensive experience in the Hollywood world by being a television writer for things like Once Upon a Time, Gotham, he wrote a few episodes of that, as well as being the co-founder and publisher of TKO Comics. This guy knows his gremlins, and he is absolutely passionate about the project. 
it's unbelievable that he's gotten to do this, that we get anything of Gremlins at this point. Since it's been 30 years since Gremlins 2, it's become incredibly unlikely we're going to see a true Gremlins 3. Lots of fans are divided on whether they went on a reboot or they want to have a continuation of the series. But in today's marketplace, this TV show is probably the closest we're going to get. It's going to be showing on a new streaming service HBO plans to release this or next year. We'll see how that goes. I know I'll be subscribing just to see this. And hopefully this will bring a lot of new voices and voice actors to American audiences. This is really exciting and I hope that this is a positive relaunch of the brand. Because you don't have to know the Gremlins world to enjoy this cartoon. And that's important. The people that are enjoying the films can still enjoy the films but we're older the films that are released today are meant for a younger audience and they don't have that attachment we do and i recognize that even though i'm a huge fan obviously of gremlins i think there's room in the world for both the new and the old as well as continuations i love side stories i love reboots i love everything like that just give me more of the media i crave but i'm watching the development of this series very closely and hopefully we'll see it before the end of the year but it's starting to look like it'll probably be 2021 because it's still in the writing stages. So there you have it. Those are five great Gremlins things. I'm sure I'll be doing more episodes about Gremlins in the future, but I want to leave you off with one last thing. And this is a song that is in the Gremlins novelization that Mr. Futterman sings while giving Billy a ride to work. When you're a thousand miles from nowhere, and there's nothing below but the drink, it's then you'll see the Gremlins, green and gambage and gold, male and female and neuter, Gremlins, both young and old. White ones will wiggle your wingtips. Male ones will muddle your maps. Green ones will guzzle your glycol. Females will flutter your flaps. They'll freeze up your camera shutters. They'll bite through your alien wires. They'll bend and they'll break and they'll batter. They'll jab toasting forks in your eyes. And that is where it leaves off in the book. Mr. Futterman just kind of trails off. However, there is an ending to it, which I found online, so take it as it will. And that is the tale of the gremlins, as told by the PRU. Pretty readily unlikely to many, but in a fact, nonetheless, to the few. As always, I can be reached at jpvries, V-R-I-E-S-S, on Twitter, or radchatpod. Feel free to shoot me a message or ideas you may have. My DMs are always open. And always remember to nerd out once in a while. Don't ever be ashamed of what you love. Take care.